IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. We share the lessons learned from global leaders making an impact for their organizations, stakeholders, and investors. For people, community, and environment, we get inspired by their experiences, attitudes, and practices. Here are your hosts for IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, everyone, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories, the podcast for conscious leaders. And Kirsten, we talk to a lot of leaders who are looking for competitive advantage and innovating and creating in your organizations. But sometimes there's a higher purpose than just a competitive advantage, isn't there? There really is. And I think today we're going to go a little bit deeper into that conversation because innovation, I, for me, having grown up in tech companies, I just think of technology when it has such a creative meaning to it and underbelly. So I'm excited to hear what we're going to learn today. Exactly. Well, our guest today, we have Jennifer Wilde and Dan McClure, co-founder and managing director of a great group called the Innovation Ecosystem. Jenny and Dan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. It's so great to talk about innovation in more of a humanitarian context. Maybe give us some differences, compare and contrast what you've seen as innovation when it comes to really solving a world problem rather than just a business problem. Yeah, I think that is a really great question, Mark, because interestingly, I think there are a lot of similarities. And I certainly grew up in the humanitarian aid sector. So spent over 10 years working in tsunamis, droughts, earthquakes, civil conflicts all over the world and have more recently also been working in corporates in the US uh, and Europe. And I actually think it's probably less about the differences between the sectors and more about the kind of problems. So the kind of problems in the humanitarian sector I would describe as big, complex, it doesn't matter if it's in a community or if it's an international food aid problem, there are lots of actors, there are governments, there are um, a range of different people who have different motivations and inspirations. And moving over to the corporate sector, you see that same kind of thing but where there are big challenges and big opportunities. So whether it's kind of new and emerging tech, electric cars, cryptocurrencies, um, ag tech, energy tech or otherwise, or it is launching a new product or service that's going to you know, be in a new market or across a country or something like that. But in the kind of world we live in now that is constantly changing where there are significant new opportunities emerging from tech, from social change and others, it feels very similar to an emergency. And, you know, when I started working in supporting agile transformations and, um, and things like this, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what we've been doing for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Just a different flow chart. <laughs> yeah, it's because, you know, like turning up in a um, typhoon three days later after it's hit, you, it is chaotic and you don't have a sense of the ground rules and you're constantly working out, what am I doing? What needs to happen? How am I learning and adapting? 
And maybe it's not that chaotic in a lot of businesses, but sometimes it is. <laughs> oh, and I, I'm here to tell you, it is. It is. And and Dan, how have you seen, I guess, the the a start of this? I mean, you know, where do you start? Now, in an emergency, you say, you know, the ground is crumbling or the uh, skies are opening. But in a company, it's not always necessarily an emergency that kickstarts the innovation. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things to be aware of is you almost have to make an emergency in order to embrace this bigger, complex, messier type of innovation. And, um, you know, you would hardly ever want to say to somebody that they were lucky to have a typhoon or a hurricane or whatever, but it really does drive the realization that I have to deal with the complexity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's really the starting point for a lot of this. Um, you know, in aid, in crisis, you have no choice but to do that. But in a commercial business, you almost have to lift yourself out of the comfort of the security of the way things are before you can say, okay, now I'm going to embrace all this complex messiness. And, you know, what we talk about is system innovation. And that's really the level of innovation that you need to be looking at is, you know, we're not going to make an improvement to a product. We're not going to launch a new mobile app, but rather we're going to do something where the entire system of the way the organization works with the world changes. And that's very common to, that's very similar as Jen mentioned to what you really need to do in a humanitarian crisis where all the systems are broken because of, you know, some, some traumatic event. You know, I love this conversation and I'm probably going to be calling both of you off to the side, but, you know, where we have a team of 13 people that have come together globally to start looking at an alternative educational system, right? Because it's functionally broken and it's not teaching the levels of critical assessment urgency and innovation at the rate it needs to occur, right? Technology and innovation is moving so fast that the human brain can almost not keep up with it. How do you take this? I mean, you have something here in your profile that says build agile, adaptive enterprises capable of delivering ambitious new ideas, right? And what we're speaking about is don't try to fix what's broken and don't worry about if the government is coming along, right? We have to solve as if it's never been done before. We're going to the moon. Yeah, sure. I love going to the moon. Never been there before. Really want to go there. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I will be on the space travel in my lifetime, I hope. <laughs> There's so much in education that's opening up now, especially with the pandemic or things that the pandemic is allowing us to do and see. For a long time in the humanitarian aid sector, we have been, you know, you, you go to refugee camps, you go to displaced people camps in the back of Iraq and Somalia and, you know, Mongolia or wherever it might be, and you see people who just don't have the opportunities that we have in other places. And they essentially have what I would say is a broken system. There are many broken systems around the world. You could say the US education system is broken if you wish, but they don't have access to education. And you see brilliant people stuck in refugee camps or um, displaced because of emergency or 
five, 10, 20 years. You know, they're in Syria, they're talking about the lost generation because there are hundreds of thousands of kids who just won't be able to go to high school, go to university um, and, you know, kind of have the opportunities that others have. And at the same time, you see some of these educational opportunities that are changing the way that education is done globally, these open online courses that kind of go into Mongolia and the 16-year-old boy who scores a 4.0 on, uh, on a incredibly difficult, you know, software programming at MIT. And I think when you look at these kind of big changes, when you look at the kind of possibilities that exist globally, you can then take that back and say, forget about the system you currently have. Forget about kind of the, you know, what we know and what we've been incrementally doing in universities or, or schools and think about what's the need. Where is the opportunity for brilliant people, whether that be in your community or globally, how do we reach them? How do we give them what they need to prosper and to create the world that we know is coming in five and 10 years. And I think it's about really stepping out of where we are now, stepping out of that kind of incremental piece by piece, let's slightly update the curriculum, let's slightly um, increase the capability of teachers and saying, what's the real problem here that we wanna tackle? And what can we do with it? What kind of incredible value can we create? One of the things that I find so exciting about that is you know, I think in the aid sector, the traditional thinking has often been that innovation comes late to the aid sector because, you know, it gets developed in commercial markets where it's, you know, economically more viable, et cetera. But when you think about if important system change is driven by great problems, the opportunities to sort of leapfrog the existing system and see where there's a really big opportunity to do something new often occurs in places where the systems aren't already in place. So if you look at like medical deliveries, you know, you could do things with a truck to make medical deliveries better. And we know how to deliver medicine with truck, but you could also put in drones you know, when you talk about electrical systems, you could improve the grid that delivers electricity to support EV, you know, vehicles or something. But you could also say, if there's no grid in place already, you could imagine something completely new. And I think, you know, this opportunity to look for where the systems aren't in place almost opens up the door to some of these, these bolder ideas, whether it's an education, you know, health or, um, you know, energy. Yes. And I think we've been talking about innovation, especially in the aid sector, in response to a crisis. But at the same time, we're also looking at sustainability goals you know, to prevent maybe some of these uh, crises. And I read an interesting article I wanted to ask you about. I mean, there's 17 sustainable development goals from the UN, 169 targets under each one of those. And the particular author said, yet we only have 168 hours of a week. Uh, how do we prioritize, you know, and how do we overcome the challenges of where do I start, Dan? I think one of the great things about systems innovation is it's like a multi-headed hammer. You can pound a lot of nails at once. Um, mm -hmm. In the same sense that some problems actually are tied to multiple SDGs, you know, so, 
you know, questions of livelihood, of environment, of access to food and water and medicine, all are tied together. And that makes them sound really, you know, very much wicked problems kinds of things. But at the same time, it means that if you can create systems that have an impact at that nexus, you may be able to actually influence quite a few positive indicators. And so by embracing the complexity of a system, you in some ways increase your ability to make you know, moves in multiple directions. Mm-hmm. And here I was just saying, oh, we should just get another hour and it will be fine. <laughs> yeah, we're going to need more than an hour. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting watching Bill Gates move from um, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world into humanitarian endeavours in that he's looking for these domino problems. So he's investing very heavily, for example, in eradicating polio or very heavily in um, freshwater or very heavily, um, for want of a better, better word, in chickens in Africa because, <laughs> because some of these pieces then start to knock out all of the other pieces. And um, when you look at the kind of innovation uh, space and uh, people he's got, they're really looking at that kind of broader problem. So they're, you know, well, I joke about chickens, but (laughs) rather than kind of zeroing in, they're saying, okay, what, you know, if we can reduce diarrheal diseases for children, then what are the knock-on effects of that for the rest of their lives? I see Um, what you're saying, this ripple effect of solving something uh, Dan, and you use the word nexus, you know, but it's some intersection of multiple issues. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think so often, you know, I I joke about watching the um, ads for banks on TV and I always get sucked in by them. There's families playing together. They're talking about your future. And I think, gosh, I wish a bank could really do that. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. But yeah. can they? And if, bank, and if bank commercials were like pharma commercials, the happy people would have side effects from working with the bank. But that's another podcast. <laughs> Kirsten, you had a thought. You know, I do. I, I'm, how do you teach somebody to think this way? Right? Because it's not really, I'm going back to the educational system, but just so that there's like social constructs that just don't allow for this expansive thinking right? So how do you begin to train in at what age and where do you start to infuse this level of creativity and innovative thinking? I mean, your mind has to expand to be able to grapple with that nexus point you're speaking of. It's really useful to think about what do we really want out of this. So for a number of years now, um, you know, probably from the dot-com boom, we've defined innovation as creativity. You know, you sit around and you have an idea and like you rush from the shower and you're trying to write it down, et cetera. And that kind of creativity is really not at the center of this, you know, systems thinking, the systems types of of innovation that we're talking about. That's really about seeing big pictures and about wanting to shape how things fit and work together. Um, I've had a job actually over the last decade and a half of where I've tried to hire these folks. And what I've discovered is you can usually go back to some time when they were in kindergarten or second grade, where they were first demonstrating this sort of big picture thinking. 
And oftentimes it was at great cost to them. Like they were doing bad in spelling. They were doing bad in, you know, many of the other classes that they needed to take. So I think rather than say, how do we turn everybody into a star gymnast in this area? We should be asking, how do we find the people who actually have this skill and then not crush it out of them? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about these UN goals and SDGs and so forth. And, and the UN is part of your story as a business and as a partnership together. You all met at a UN conference at Berkeley. Uh, but let's talk about, the, turn the page a little bit from solving the world's problems, maybe, to creating your own collaboration and your own innovation ecosystem. How, well, how like has this, this developed question. for you? I like this question. Um, Actually, maybe let me go back before Innovation Ecosystem. So um, when Dan and I met at Berkeley a long, long time ago, I was in Nepal uh, after they had had a, a very large earthquake and had just set up uh, as part of the program I was working on an innovation lab. So it was around anyone, private sector, government, um, non-government organisation, charity, bring your challenge in. And we'll try and work out what we need to do with it. And in the heat of a response, that is really difficult because people just want to make decisions. They're like, right, make a decision, move on, make a decision, move on, make a decision. And some things you just can't make a decision over and they get worse. And uh, met Dan and said, uh, you know, presented this idea to a bunch of different people. And Dan said, that is really interesting. I'd love to work on that with you. And it was about the time that we would actually scaling um, a few of the programs from Nepal globally. And so Dan said, you know, why don't I help have a think about how we, how you essentially, how we bring this to the world. And two years later, um, there was the Response Innovation Lab that was essentially the three biggest NGOs globally with innovation labs um, looking at collaboration across, I think, six different countries. And so, Dan, when you say, you know, how did this collaboration start, Dan and I, over a number of years, worked through a bunch of really different, I would call important, big problems from how to shift global food systems to better, more efficient building in hard-to-reach areas in Nepal to thinking around different collaboration styles across sectors. And so um, after I had my child and came out of uh, the Response Innovation Labs, handed that over to someone else, Dan and I said, we should do this together. And we should do this in the aid sector and we should do this for the corporate sector and we should help people who want to do big things have a methodology, the mindset to be able to do that. And so it's, it's really been incredibly exciting for Dan and I working with, you know, Fortune 50 companies, working with innovators in South Sudan and everyone in between who want to do something bigger where they are and just haven't found the right tools, approaches to enable them to think about some of these bigger challenges. And Dan, it's grown really think... naturally. Oh, Sorry. it sounds fantastic. So, Dan, I'm thinking about the leadership aspect of guiding all these teams and organizations and NGOs through the emotional 
uh, roller coaster that it must be the anger, the irritability, the doubt, the, you know, why me, the helplessness, I'll never be able to stop all those plastic bottles in the ocean. Why don't you, why even try? Um, how, how do you deal with some of those complexities? Again, as in the leadership frame of mind. Yeah. And this, I think, goes back to some of what Jen was talking about, methodologies associated with system innovation. Um, you know, a lot of folks don't realize is there are very distinct, different methodologies for innovation. There are methodologies for making incremental change, methodologies for discovering a new product, methodologies for planning how to build a bridge. And system innovation has a methodology that basically says you start by looking at a big problem and understanding it, and then you create a vision for where you want to go. Not a couple of things you want to do, like I want to get a thousand bottles out of the water or something like that. But rather, this is how it would ultimately work to have all the bottles out of the water. And the thing that's powerful for that is if you're a leader, you're not simply saying, we're going to do A today and B tomorrow and C the day after. And boy, isn't this getting tiring and we're all frustrated because we're not moving fast enough. You're saying, there's the goal that we're aiming towards. It's this system of all the pieces fitting together. And we're on this journey together to get to that new system. It's, oh, I my, my brain is like, you know, that emoji with the brain explosion. <laughs> right? I'm so excited. I'm like, wait, can we take this offline? I have things I need to talk to you too about. <laughs> well, I think this goes back to, you do get activated, you know, yeah. in a discussion like this. And, and how many of, of us have been in those meetings or been at that conference? And you walk out and you say, that was fantastic. Now, what do we do? And I think that Go ahead, one of the funny things is the kind of people we talk to are either I've got a big challenge. Maybe that's scary, but I've got it. You know, I've got a solution that's going to revolutionize X. And like, I'm so excited about that. I've got a company that's um, losing market share and it scares the pants off me, you know, um, or, or we have to grow. So there's already some imperative. And I think once people see that significance, they're already primed to say, how do I do this? And, and the significance could be a bigger opportunity. I was just talking to someone today about years ago, I worked in, a, um, in the food crisis in uh, East Africa and one of the, you know, obviously there was um, severe malnutrition, there was conflict, there was um, various points of kind of corruption, there was a range of um, World Food Programme from the UN had huge challenges with importing food and there just wasn't enough food in most of the locations and countries to feed populations. We had people crossing borders. We had huge camps of people displaced who had come from deserts and fighting. And it was, it was a really difficult situation. And when I was talking to this person, they said, well, you know, we, you've just got to feed people. You've just got to get the food there. And I was kind of saying, well, yeah, I would, you know, I, I pray that that was, the, that was that easy. And I feel like companies and sometimes NGOs, although often they deal with harder problems, will say that we've just got to do X, you know. And one of the programs that 
um, was particularly touching for me was supporting pregnant women and babies with food, supplementary food. So how do we support them essentially to, to eat and survive and not become malnourished? And we spent weeks and then months putting together programs that tied together getting food internationally from the places like World Food Program and a number of other organisations that were doing great work out into huge distribution of food and water in some cases where there was, you know, water wells had dried up to rural communities, sometimes through conflict, through honestly just families, many families and communities who were just trying to survive and so would take some food for themselves even if they weren't the most vulnerable and and no fault to anyone there because, you know, people do what they need to keep their own families um, alive and healthy. And, you know, part of my job was going out to see some of these pregnant women um, and their children at the start and say, how do we get you food? Tell us, you know, tell us what we need. Tell us what we need to do. Tell us how we get this to you with all the kind of complications in the community and the country and, and sometimes globally. And it was, it's heartbreaking because you, you see, for me, people who I think are the most vulnerable people in the world, you know, like young pregnant women, children who, who just don't have enough to eat. Mm-hmm. And you just think, how, to, how, how can this be so hard? How can, people, how, can, how can people have their ears closed to, like, fixing all these different problems? But people don't. It's just trying to align all the incentives and... Um, and 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 challenging systems and you know months later I went back into some of these communities and and was sitting with some of these women and their children for hours having quite active conversations where the women were really you know there was a sense of kind of life about how to improve the program and what we could do and what we could do next and kind of opportunities for them in the future which we certainly weren't having at the beginning and just really really exciting ways that um, we could serve those communities. And afterwards, this woman came up to me, this young woman um, who had twins, who had um, twin babies, and she said, you know, quietly, you know, thank you for your time. Thank you for your help. We wouldn't be here without you. You know, we wouldn't be here if, if these things hadn't come together. And I just think what a strong woman for giving birth for carrying children, for for for, make, for for you know for for still being there and active, um, engaging in her community, and and what does that teach you about the power of systems? Not just globally, not just kind of you know global climate change and new markets, but at each individual level where you can say, you know, you can make huge, incredible change and improvements by serving and supporting people with all of this kind of pulling together of different pieces in the system. Uh, for sure. And, and, I, and I think that's where it comes together for me. It's like, what's important? What's important for you in your community? What's important for you in your business? Because it's all there. The opportunities are on the table. But, you know, someone needs to drive that. Absolutely. Well, very inspiring and motivating to uh, see all those pieces fit together. Yeah, we have some knowledge, 
and we've got that uh, inspiration, motivation, kind of emotional attitude stuff, but we also then have the systems and the processes to take it on. Mm -hmm. Well, Jennifer and Dan, this has been a fantastic conversation. Every week, Kirsten, we say this is like a mini symposium. We we need just the whole panel. We need a half a day <laughs> yeah. to go through these things. It's just a podcast. <laughs> this is, but, uh, I think this. I think it's going to have to come together. But I think we're so. talking about doing this for uh, two years now. Yeah. We have to do it. But Jen and Dan, I know people are going to want to connect with you, learn more about your work. Where can we find you out there on the internet, Jen? Yeah, you can find us at um, innovationecosystem.com. Um, Inno, I-N-N-O underscore ecosystem on Twitter. Um, come say hello. Tell us about your challenges. Tell us about your opportunities. Big stuff excites us. It's, it's the biggest. So it's so exciting. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Dan and Jennifer. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. And Kirsten, we'll continue these conversations over our next few episodes. Like I say, we, we have a weekly installment of a symposium. <laughs> we, we call it, we, it's labeled a podcast. We got to call it something. But uh, week over week, we have these great uh, guests sharing these experiences. And today, I think moving from just corporate leadership to truly world leadership and uh, being empowered to take some, some of these issues and problems that we all oh, want to. It's so exciting, right? And I just, I'll, I'll close with this, Mark. I know we have to wrap up here, right? But one of their offerings is scale and implement complex innovations that are blocked or failing to realize impact. I mean, if that's not a drop the mic moment, right? There you go. Like, that, that's that's the bumper sticker right there. <laughs> so listeners, join us again for our next episode. We'll talk to conscious leaders making an impact for profit, for sure, but also for people and planet as conscious leadership takes the lead. For Kirsten Gouldie, I'm Mark Stenson. For IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, pureintelliKey.com. I'm Jared Kajak. Join us again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host two other podcasts you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity and Five Minutes of Peace. Subscribe today and leave a review on your favorite podcast player.